We're going through the book of Exodus. We do New Testament, spring, fall, and we do uh, New Testament in the, I mean, Old Testament in the summer. We did Genesis. Now we're in Exodus, and we are in the, one of the most familiar passages in Exodus and really in all of the Old Testament. Uh, obviously, you've got the Ten Commandments there too, two big things, right? Uh, and along with the Ten Commandments is the plagues, and we're in the plagues right now. We covered last week uh, two, three, and four. Today, we're going to cover five and six. Now, I want you to know that the Bible is vital to us in this place. We're bullish on the Bible. We love the Bible. We believe it's God's Word, which means it's His revelation of Himself. We believe that it's not only His Word, it contains the words of God. It's the Word of God contains the words of God, and we want you to know all those words. And so what we do typically here is preach verse by verse, word for word, through books of the Bible, because we don't want to skip any of it. We don't want to leave any of it behind. We don't want to pick and choose. There's a lot of it that I would choose to not bring to you if it were up to me, but we don't want to do that. So we preach verse by verse, word for word through the Bible. And we uh, are doing that because we want you to know the word. Now, in, ex- in the plagues, we're doing that through Exodus too, but in the plagues, we're sort of doing a hybrid because I'm reading the whole thing. We're talking about some specific verses and phrases, but we're more looking at themes because the plagues are not the same, but there's themes that run through all of the plagues. For instance, two of the dominant themes are the lordship of God and and the uh, sovereignty of God. Uh, On the lordship, if you'll remember, in the very beginning, Pharaoh uh, said, who is the Lord? Because Moses said, let God's people go. Who is the Lord? I don't know him, and I'm not going to let him go because I don't know him. Well, then if you'll remember at the end of plague three, his magician said, uh, surely this is the finger of God. Pharaoh then uh, eventually says, ask Moses, go plead with your God to take away these things, these frogs, these flies. Go plead, ask your God. So the point is, they're getting to know who God is, right? I mean, they didn't know him. They're getting to know who God is. That's what Exodus is all about. It's about God revealing himself. You will know I am the Lord, right? Egypt will know. Israel will know. They didn't. Now they do. Pharaoh's beginning to know who God is, but he does not repent. He does not surrender. Okay, that's very important because most people acknowledge God. We might call him the good Lord, the man upstairs. We might say God, you know, most people acknowledge God, but they don't surrender to him and repent like Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh began to acknowledge him, but Pharaoh didn't want to get off of the throne of Egypt or the throne of his own life, his own heart. Most people acknowledge God, but they don't want to really get off the throne of their heart and submit to another authority. Even many who do claim to follow Jesus really acknowledge him. They follow him, but they really follow him more like they follow a friend on Facebook or Instagram. I mean, man, I can check it whenever I want to. I can check out whenever I want to. I can scroll through their posts. I can like some things. I can just leave other things there. And it has really no impact on my life. I really don't know a whole lot about them. I follow them. They follow me. But they really don't impact my life from day to day. That's the way a lot of people follow the Lord. The way a lot of people follow Jesus. I mean, man, he's my friend. I'm connected with him. I can read through his post, his, his word, like that part, really leave that part behind. It really has no impact on my life. That's not good. That's not biblical Christianity. Okay? And so, so the lordship of, of God is one of the major themes through the plagues. I am the one true Lord. There are no other. Now, another uh, theme is the sovereignty of God. Obviously, we see that he is in total control. We see that the number of the plagues, the pattern of the plagues, the duration of the plagues. He's in control of every detail of life. There is nothing that is arbitrary. Nothing is by chance. You are where you are. You were born where you were born, to whom you were born, when you were born. You're here in Middle Tennessee today or wherever you are online all over the world. You are there by the sovereign plan of God, the hand of God. Uh, And so he's got you where you are for a reason. There is literally nothing that is uh, uh, uncontrolled by God. There's nothing that's out of his control. There's nothing that just is. God is sovereign. That's the God we worship. So when things happen, we know it's not arbitrary. you'll, You'll never understand many things that happen. But you can always know God's in control. God is sovereign. Okay, so, so we're going to dive in and we're going to look at, at plagues five and six today. And uh, we're going to look at some specific phrases and verses along with a couple of more themes that you'll begin to see. And some will point out that we've already seen and some new ones we'll talk about. So let's read verses one through seven. Verses one through seven, this will be plague five. Then the Lord said to Moses, as they all began and start out with this, then the Lord said to Moses, this is God speaking, right? 
go into Pharaoh, remember the pattern, outside, inside, and he just does it. One, two, and three, four, five, we're in five, so he's go back inside. Six will be the livestock, he just does it. So go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord. I want you to, paraf- I want you to par- parenthesis mark that phrase. If you're a hard copy or even I, I do electronic, so I, I highlight it. We're going to talk about that phrase. The God of the Hebrews, let my, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Another theme. We're going to talk about that in a moment. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord, we're going to talk about this phrase, the hand of the Lord will fall on you, will fall with a very severe plague. We're going to talk about that. I'm pointing out as I go through some things we're going to talk about. A very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But, to, but the Lord will make a distinction. Very important word right here, Okay. God is a discriminating God, and we're going to look at that, all right, between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Pharaoh sent to check it out. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. That's another theme that we see. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Now notice, let's talk about that phrase, thus says the Lord. Okay, we see that in the Old Testament a lot. Anytime you see a prophet say, thus says the Lord, he says that to make very clear he's not talking about his opinion. He's not going in like I would do sometimes if you come to me for counsel. And sometimes I say, man, I I really can't tell you what to do here because it's a situation. Maybe it's not specifically, uh, uh, the Bible addresses everything, but maybe it's not specific and there's not, you know, I mean, you can go this way, you need to do this. So I say, I can't really tell you what you should do, but if it were me, that's what, this is what I would do. That's my opinion, which is very fallible, right? And you could disagree with that, okay? But you come into me on some issues, uh, you know, uh, that I might say, thus says the Lord. In other words, it's not my opinion. Man, listen, this is God's Word. It's not up for debate, okay? You, you, you might disagree with me, but you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with God's Word, Okay, those would be issues that we have sp- very specific stances on here at LifePoint that, that I, I want, you know, we have new people. And that's why I want to cast vision uh, about the Bible, the importance of the Bible to us, to you, okay, in our lives here. But I also want you to know we take stances on issues. And some people's like, man, that, that seems like it's narrow-minded. For instance, on sex, right? We have, is- we, we have stances on sex. And what we say about sex is it's glorious, it's great, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Between a husband and wife and only a husband and wife, which is a man and woman, okay? That's what we say. Uh, that's, uh, we, it's not before marriage. It should not be enjoyed before marriage. It should not be enjoyed outside of marriage. That's our view on sex. And people would say, oh, that's old-fashioned. Thus says the Lord. That's not our opinion, okay? We don't say that because, man, we think we have a better sociological or biological deal than, uh, you know, it's not like sex ed. And that's, uh, it, thus says the Lord. That's not our opinion on sex. That's what God's Word clearly says, right? We have an opinion on the sanctity of human life. I mean, man, we are pro-life, okay? Some people say, well, that's, that's, that's bigoted. And that's, no, that thus says the Lord. We have that stance because that's what God's Word says about life, the sanctity of human life. We have stances on LGBT issues, okay? And some of you say, man, you're, ta- you're hitting everybody today, all right? Well, I mean, happy Father's Day, okay? So we have, we have stances on LGBT issues, right? homosexuality is wrong biblically, okay? I don't need to preach on it. I've, I've preached many times. You can go find it. It's wrong. It's not, it's not God-honoring. It's, it's wrong. Just as sex outside of heterosex outside of marriage is wrong. That's our, now, we're going to speak truth on that issue, but we're also going to show compassion, right? What happened in Orlando was sad. It's not just a hate crime. It was terrorism. It was a hate crime. It was both. That's wrong as well. We obviously have stance on murder, okay? And, and stance on treating people harshly. We speak truth. We show compassion. 
All right? Because, uh, you know, for, for a homosexual, someone that's, that's having sex outside of marriage, I mean, man, we don't be harsh to people. That, our stance is it's wrong, okay? And we're going to love them. We're going to speak truth. We're going to show compassion, right? I mean, these are our stances, and it's thus, says Lord. It's not our opinion. Some people would say, oh, these are political issues. They're not. They have become political issues because they've been hijacked, but they are moral issues first, because they're biblical issues. I mean, this week you've heard me talk about the Confederate flag. I'm, 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 listen, I, I, I've spoken about the Confederate flag and how it needs to be repudiated, okay? This week the Southern Baptist Convention voted to repudiate it. I was glad, right? I mean, I was glad because of what it represents. It represents a different time when people did gymnastics with Scripture, which is what the LGBT community does that repudiates that. But they also do gymnastics with Scripture in order to make homosexuality okay. Well, the Confederate flag represents a time when, when people did gymnastics with Scripture to make slave owning okay. Completely contrary to the heart of God, the gospel of God. It's a symbol that's been associated with racism. We're not going to, that, we're going to repudiate that here, okay? Now, I don't think that, that I, I don't, tr- I, when people say, well, it's heritage, it's not hate, man, it's, listen, the issue is it, it, what it represents is, is not it, God's heart, and, and, and that's, uh, we're going to fly Jesus is what we're going to fly here, okay? We're going to fly his heart, we're going to fly his flag, we're not going to fly another flag, okay? And so, uh, so, why is that? Thus, and I'm proud of my country. Don't, don't hear me say I'm not going to. But Jesus is my authority ultimately. He will always be my authority. Thus says the Lord. These issues are not our opinion. They're based off of clear biblical mandates. Thus says the Lord. That's what Moses is going to Pharaoh. He's saying, Pharaoh, this is not my opinion. You've got these people enslaved. That's what we're talking about. That's what I just talked about. It's like, you've got these, it's wrong. These are God, let them go. Thus says the Lord, okay? So, so uh, Moses here, he goes and he says, thus says the Lord. And notice, let my people go that they may serve me. It's another clear theme all the way through Scripture. The clear theme of Scripture is this. God didn't bring out the Israelites so that they could just go sit on the beach of the Red Sea and enjoy some margaritas, okay? That might have been a part of it, but that's not why he redeemed them. He redeemed them so that they could worship him, okay? Point is, God, if you're a Christian, God didn't just save you so that you could just miss hell. And man, that's great. I am not going to hell, okay? I'm not going to hell. Why? Not because I'm better than anybody or because I don't deserve to. I deserve to. Not because I I hope so or think so, thus says the Lord. I know I'm not going to hell because of what God's Word says, right? Because I know Jesus. Jesus is my Redeemer. But He didn't redeem me just so I could miss hell as glorious as that is, right? I mean, I'm not going to be a crispy critter is a glorious thing, right? I mean, He redeemed me to represent Him. He fought for me so I could feast with Him. He saved me to send me, not just over the sea to Brussels or to, to uh, Brazil, so, but he, to send me to my office, to my, to my, to my neighborhood, to, your, uh, uh, to the ball fields, right? I mean, I'm saved to be sent, redeemed to represent. He fought for me to feast with him. That's the theme that you're going to see. And if you're a Christian, it's not just about getting Jesus, checking him off, and going on about life as normal. It's about going about life with Jesus and taking Jesus everywhere you go to serve him and, and to honor him and to worship him. And so, uh, so a, as we do this, notice he says in plague five will be severe. God said, plague five, I, I'm going to de- deal with you in a very severe plague. Now that word is the same word used to describe Pharaoh's heart as being hard. It's the word hebed in Hebrew. And I believe it's a play on words. What God is doing basically is saying, Pharaoh, as hard as your heart is, as heavy as your heart is, this plague will be that heavy, this plague will be that hard to show you how heavy my glory is. Because God's glory is the weight of who he is. His godness. When it talks about the glory of God, it's the godness of God. It's how heavy, how, who all God, all that God is, it's like wow, right? And so I'm going to show you how, who, who, uh, the heaviness of who I am with the heaviness of this plague. Now, again, 
After plague three, the magician said, this is the finger of God. Well, here he moves from the finger of God to the hand of God. And I think that's significant if you know a little bit about Egyptian culture, what you be, ancient Egyptian culture, you begin to understand in their literature when Pharaoh would conquer cities, he would go in and just absolutely just demolish a city. And, and, and when, he, when he would do that, he would own that city, right? He would own them and, and, and dominate them. And so what God is doing, I believe it's a play on words. Well, I believe what God is doing is God is saying, again, when he says, a heavy, the hand of God will be against you, they would have recognized that because in Egyptian liter, literature over and over, when Pharaoh would dominate and own a city, it, it was said that the, the strong hand of Pharaoh was against that city or the strong hand of Pharaoh was against his enemies. I mean, he was dominating them. He was owning them. I believe God is saying, Pharaoh, little man, I'm getting ready to own and dominate you. God's trash-talking him a little bit. You can turn on the ball game tonight. You know, game seven's coming on tonight. You're going to see LeBron. He's going to run them chops a little bit. And he, you're going to see Steph, and he's going to run them chops a little bit. And then LeBron's going to turn around and shoot an air ball, right? And, and, and then Steph will do something. And, you know, because we can trash-talk, and then we make fools of ourselves when we do because we're not perfect. We can't back up everything we say, but God can. God can back up. God just doesn't talk. God does. And God says, hey, little man, I'm about to own you. <laughs> I own you already, and I'm about to let you know you're owned. I'm going to dominate you, right? And so, so he definitely turned up the heat here in plague five as the Egyptian livestock die. Now, it says that the horses died. The, uh, it talks about donkeys, camel, horses. Now, now, think about this, right? Now, remember back when the, when the frogs, he sent the frogs. And when, when, when Pharaoh said, plead with God to take away these frogs, okay, God took them away tomorrow. They all died. Everything but in the Nile, they died. Billions of frogs. Imagine, you know, frogs all over your house, your, your, your yard. They scrape them up. They pile them up. It's hot in Egypt. The Egyptian sun's baking down. The frogs begin to rot and they stank. Now, can you imagine that? Stink filled the land. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I don't know if you know this or not, but, man, if you got a cow that's down and you, or you got any kind of a large livestock that's down for a couple of days and you don't know it, they begin to bloat, you know? They begin to stink. I don't know if you know that. If you don't, they'll make you throw up just going close. Well, imagine they're everywhere laying dead all over Egypt. Now, you thought the frog stunk, man. The, these, these rotten camels and horses and, and livestock, man, they make those rotten frogs smell like frying bacon on Saturday morning. I ain't kidding you. Now, I said that because that's a beautiful smell to me, frying bacon on Saturday morning. I love it. Me some bacon, right? And so that's a beautiful smell. And, man, those rotten horses made that. And, and, and listen, as we see, you know, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Pharaoh sinned. Pharaoh's the one that's, that's stiff-arming God. Pharaoh's the one that's, that's throwing up the block and saying, I ain't going to do it, God. I ain't going to do it your way. And because of his sin, man, the animals are suffering. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't it remind you of Adam and Eve? Do you remember God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, beautiful, perfect, great relationship. Just all you got to do is this, man. And, and they said, nah, we want to do it our way. And they sinned. And you know what? It didn't just affect Adam and Eve. It affected all of creation. That's why Paul said in Romans that all of creation is groaning because it was subjected to futility, right? It affected the animal world. It affected the plants. It affected the, the, the atmosphere. Everything is affected by the fall. And so what that says is, and, and you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in taking care of our world. I really am, right? I mean, man, I, I, we ought to be stewards of the creation, of God's creation, which means that, man, I pick up my trash, don't litter, and, and all those things. I mean, like, like Friday, man, me and some dudes here from the church went, went, went fishing, trout fishing, and camping on the side of the river in an in a emu, eno, something like that at nighttime. And, and man, it, it was great, right? We left our campsite cleaner than what we found it, man. Uh, we left uh, the boat dock cleaner than what we found it because, man, it's, 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 we shouldn't litter. We should take care of, we should be stewards. But don't, don't hear me say that because I, what I want you to say is we also shouldn't worship the earth, right? I mean, you can be as green as a leprechaun in a St. Patrick's Day parade and it ain't going to fix the problem, okay? It's not going to fix it because the problem is sin. Sin broke it. The only thing that's going to fix it is Jesus. Sin has a cosmic consequence. Sin affected all the cosmos just as the redemption of Jesus will. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth.
when he returns. Only Jesus is going to feed. We should do our part in stewarding everything God has given us, from our relationships to our marriage, our kids, our time, our money, the, the environment we should be properly cared for, it because God has made us rulers over it. But we shouldn't worship it. Okay, we shouldn't worship it, and, and the only thing that's going to fix it is Jesus, right? Uh, and so, so uh, man, this also screams, not only did it affect the environment, listen, it affects, your sin affects other people. It doesn't just affect you. You can't just sin, no matter what you think, and say, well, it's just affecting me. There's not one sin in your life that just affects you. Your sin will affect all those around you. Your sin will affect your, your wife or your husband. It will affect your children. It will affect your friends. It will affect your small group. It will affect your church. Your sin will affect those you work with. It will affect everybody. I mean, people say, well, I, now my sin, it's just it's pornography. I'm just looking at it. On, it's not affecting anybody but me. You bought the Kool-Aid, man. You're drinking the Kool-Aid and you're dying. Because it affects your wife and your kids and everybody around you. There's no sin that you can commit that just only affects you. I mean, think about it. Let me give you an example, although it would be a negative one, right? I mean, let's say, man, that I, I, I go stupid, right? Now, some of you say, I went there a long time ago. But let's say I go stupid. I go into Nashville and say, you know what? I'm going to streak down Broadway. I just take off my clothes. I mean, just birthday suit naked and just take off running down Broadway. Now, You'd say, well, now that affects a lot of people because they'd be scarred for life. But here, here's, here's the issue. If I went stupid and did that, would that just affect me? Would that affect Amy? Uh, would that affect my kids? Just think about you. You're going to have people come up to you going, was that your pastor I saw on the news streaking down Broadway? <laughs> huh? Listen, it's going to affect, my sin affects you. If I sin, it affects you. Did you realize that? I mean, my sin affects you. Your sin affects everybody else. That gives a little more gravity. It's just not about you, okay? Pharaoh's sin affected everybody around him. The, the Egyptians, think about the Egyptian children. They had no clue what was going on. The people who uh, in Egypt that, that lived out that had no say in this decision, they still had blood for water. They still had frogs all over their houses. They had flies everywhere. They had dead horses and cows everywhere. Listen, sin affects everybody, not just you, okay? Now, the Egyptians worship bulls. One of the themes that we see through this is the fact that God's just smacking around the false Egyptian gods, very polytheistic. The Egyptians worship bulls. As a matter of fact, they had a bull in Memphis, Memphis, Egypt, not Memphis, Tennessee, all right, where Memphis, Tennessee gets its name, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, they had a bull in the temple in Memphis that they thought was the incarnation of the god Apis. It was a bull god. They worship bulls. As a matter of fact, a lot of scholars believe that when after they leave, exit uh, uh, Egypt, they go, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and if you'll remember, we're going to get there, if you'll remember, Aaron has fashioned for them a golden calf. They wanted Aaron to fashion a golden calf so that they could start worshiping a golden calf. Remember, they've been in captivity for 400 years, and if you are not careful, your culture will affect you more than you let it affect the culture, right? Don't do that. That's what happened to the Israelites, God's people. They were in a, a polytheistic society, and rather than infecting, uh, impacting that, it impacted them, and they began, well, we need a God. So they started worshiping a golden calf. Many people believe this is why, because bull worship was so prominent in Egypt. And so what we see here, basically, is God is just smacking down the, the false gods of Egypt, saying, I am the one true God. I have no rivals. I have no rivals. So that's plague five. Now let's look at plague six. See what we can learn from plague six. Plague six says, and the Lord said to Moses. There we go again. Hey, this is God's doing. It's not Moses versus Pharaoh. God versus Pharaoh, which is no versus battle at all. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. Now, by the way, in this culture, this is what the Egyptian priests of the false gods did. They would offer sacrifices to their false gods specifically for healing, but for everything. And then they would take the ashes, they would scatter them in the air. So, that, so just so you know some stuff about the culture. So he, God told them to take soot and do that. And it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. 
So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in the sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Now before, remember the first three, they couldn't reverse it, which would have been real power. They, they replicated it. Now, then they couldn't do it. Now they, don't even stand, they can't even stand before him, right? Just You see the gradual nature of God breaking them down, saying, hey, little man, I'm dominating you, right? So uh, he says, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Here it is again. Sometimes it says his heart was hardened. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened it. Again, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he, did, he didn't listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses because he's sovereign and because he's Lord. All right, now, the sixth plague gets even more intense as God infects the Egyptians with boils. Now, it could have been leprosy. It could have been some sort of smallpox or some sort of lesions. Uh, don't really know what it was, but we know it was severe. And this is the first plague. This is, they're getting more and more severe. This is the first plague that directly affects man. Now, they all affected men, right? I mean, you got blood to drink from the Nile turning blood, that, that affects you. You got swarms of flies or mosquitoes. You got, you got, uh, you know, these, the, uh, you got frogs everywhere. You cattle are dying. All that affects you. But the issue is these are directly on your physical person. Now your, your, your own, your body, it's not just affecting your comfort, it's affecting your health. Your body is breaking out in these boils. And, and, and most people, most scholars believe that what God is doing here is he's attacking the false gods that they worship for healing. The, these false gods that they worship for, for healing and, 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 and because they would worship as polytheistic people, they don't just worship a lot of gods just because their God, unlike our God, is not sovereign. Uh, there's nothing at all really, but he's not. See, our God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. Uh, they needed, uh, well, let's see, this God can heal. Let's do this. But he can't take care of the rain, so let's have a rain God. Th this God can't take care, of, he can take care of the rain, but, but man, fertility. Let's have a fertility goddess. They worshiped all these gods for different things, so they had gods of healing. And this is what their priests would do. And so, so what God is doing here is he's smacking their, fa their false gods of healing in the nose, saying, oh, your gods can't take care of your health. They're not going to do anything for you, just like they didn't do anything for your cattle. You know, just like they didn't do anything for, they can't do anything for you. And so, so uh, here's what we need to know about medicine and science. God and science, it's not God versus science. God created science, folks. Science and God is not, you know, on opposite ends. God used, God created it. God, it's, it's atheists who created this division between God and science. Okay? It's atheists that create this division. It, it, it's not God. And, and, and the thing about it is, is I am thankful for technology. Many of us are here today because there's medicines and technologically advances, technological advances in science and surgery and medicines that have, that, that, that have you know, you would have died without those. Some of your quality of life is much better today because of medicines. Aren't you grateful for, for God creating science and intellect and those things? God created that. But here's what I want you to understand. We don't, we're thankful for science, we're thankful for medicines, but we don't worship science and we don't worship medicine. It's God who makes the body respond to those things. We worship God. We thank God for those things, but we worship God. And, 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 and that's what we see here. Now, let me talk about two more themes as we close out. Two, these are themes that we haven't pointed out yet. They've been obvious, but I, I want to point them out. The first theme is that God judges the wicked. God judges the wicked. Now, that's what the plagues are about. The plagues are not meant to be nice, folks. The plagues are meant to be devastating because God is judging Pharaoh and Egypt. God is a judgmental God. God judges. And a lot of people don't want a God who judges. I mean, people, people don't want a God who, who, who judges. And I mean, we, we want God to be domesticated and tolerant. And we think God's job is just giving out ice cream to everybody at the gates of heaven when their heart stops beating, right? I mean, good job. He's like Mr. Rogers. He just, he, you know, and, and uh, I don't even know why I said that. About half the congregation said, who is Mr. Rogers? 
So anyway, but most people don't want a, a judgmental God. We don't want a judgmental God. Uh, uh, you know, we don't want a God who judges because think about it. To judge, there has to be a standard. And we don't want a, a standard unless we create that standard, right? Did you realize that we don't want God to judge, but we judge? Oh, no. Well, we live in a world of, you can't judge me, right, on everything. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want you to point out. Now, judgment, bad, the Bible talks about judgment, right? We can't judge people, and what he's talking about there is our opinion. We can't say, oh, you know, uh, my opinion, or that's not what I would do, or that's different than me, so it's bad or wrong, or you're not as good as me. That's judgment, right? Uh, we can't look at, at other people's sin, and, and now when you, when you sin, if I commit a sin, let me reverse it. If I commit a sin, you walking up to me saying, hey, that's wrong, that's sin, then, then you're not judging me based on your opinion. You're judging me based on God's word, and that is proper judgment. Wrong judgment is to say, oh, you commit that sin? I'd never commit that sin. You're, you're horrible. You see, now I'm saying your sin's worse than my sin. and See, that's, that's a misplaced judgment. But a proper judgment is me saying, you sinned, right? But we don't like that because we don't want a standard unless we create that standard. And we all have different, we would all have different standards. That's why our standard would never be correct, but God's standard is. So our bottom line today is God, just God. The reason it's just God, I should have said that earlier, just God is because it's just God. There is no other God, but it's also he's a just God. He's a just God. We don't, we don't want that because there's a standard, but we all do that. Think about it. If we set the standard, we're okay. Probably nobody in the room, or you can't talk to many people in our world that wouldn't agree that terrorists need to be judged. I mean, people like Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, people like that. Let me tell you something. Hell's not hot enough for people like that, okay? We would say. We don't have a problem with, with those being judged, but, but then we say, oh man, I want to do what I want to do, and, 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 and we don't, we don't want to judge, but you shouldn't judge, but now let me tell you, what about that stupid ref that cost you the game? You want to run him out of town, don't you? We'll shoot you. Hey, what about that slow roller? What about that slow roller in the fast lane? Man, I ain't got the sense God gave an animal cracker. I can't tell you how many times I've said that, right? I mean, get out the slow lane. Boy, I said it yesterday five times. What are you doing? Y'all can tell traffic is where sanctification really, for me, I mean. But you make judgments like that all the time. I mean, you, 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 make, you make, what, 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 you know, what, what about, you know, when uh, there's no absolute standard? People say, oh, you want absolute truth. There's no absolute standard. Well, yeah, there is. Somebody punches you in the face, I guarantee you're going to say that's wrong, Right? Let somebody, if somebody punches you in the nose, you're going to say that, you know, uh, oh, that, that's wrong. Well, hold on a minute. I thought there's no absolute standard. It might have been wrong for you, but it wasn't wrong for me. It was right for me to punch you in the face. Well, no, that would never go. You see, liberalism, it just talks in circles, man. I mean, they call me no, uh, m most of the liberal stuff says, man, I'm narrow-minded. I'd rather have a narrow mind than no mind, really, to be honest. So, I'm sorry. Happy Father's Day. I'm hitting everybody. Uh, but, th I mean, think about this. I think about this. I, I, I mean, really. We've had an epitome of this judgmental. We had a group of people lately. I mean, let me go back a few weeks. We had a gorilla get killed in a zoo because he had a little boy. Sad thing. I hate the gorilla got killed. God created a gorilla. I have nothing against gorilla. Okay? I hate the gorilla got killed. But it wasn't a choice. Okay? You, you, it's going to kill a boy. It wasn't a choice. Okay? Now, here's the thing. You've got hundreds of thousands of supposedly intelligent people who think, oh man, we shouldn't, these same people that thought, well, we shouldn't, uh, uh, we shouldn't judge, these same people are picketing that we should hang the mama by her toenails because she let her son wander off. Are you kidding me? That same group of people was saying, we shouldn't be judgmental. And they're wanting to run this woman out of town. We should have shot the woman instead of the gorilla. Are you kidding me? Now, let me tell you the sad thing about that, okay? This is why it just talks in circles. That same day that one gorilla was killed, and there were hundreds of thousands of people picketing a mama for letting her kid get away. Now, I've got five kids, and I've lost all five of them at different times. <laughs> Wished I hadn't have found some of them sometimes. 
Right? So, but if, you, if you're a mama or a daddy, you've lost your kids in a store at an amusement park, and boy, that's when you get tight and you start screaming. And when you find them, when you hug them and you take them home and wear that tail out. I mean, listen. Right? I mean, we lose our kids. But those same people that were picketing that woman, let me, let me tell you something. Which is crazy. Pick, you're picketing the mama. I mean, and those same people, that very day there was 125,000 babies aborted. No one said a word. No, not a word. People, people bombing, killing innocent people. There is no innocent people. You know what I mean. Spiritually. Killing people, terrorists killing people. And people are like, oh, oh well, I hate it. A, a gorilla gets killed. Wow. I mean, listen, here's my point. Nobody wants God to judge, but everybody judges. Nobody wants God to be just, but everybody buys T-shirts for every social justice cause on the planet. God is a judgmental God. He is, a ju he is God, we're not. We don't judge God. We don't judge God. You're not in a place to judge God. God judges you. God judges me. God is the judge, and his standard is always right, and his judgment is always just. And we need to live our lives with the awareness that God is a judgmental God. God judges. Now, let me go into the next theme that we can see here, is that God is a God that clearly discriminates. God, God makes distinction. That's what the Bible said. He distinguished. Uh, uh, there was a distinction between the Egyptian cattle and the cattle of Israel, the Hebrew cattle. God is a God who discriminates. And uh, we, we see that here. And remember, in, 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 in uh, other plagues, it, it was about the the uh, flies didn't go into the Egyptians. The, the, the livestock here, the, uh, the hail will not, the 10th plague, the firstborn. Here it's the livestock. The livestock between the Egyptians and the Hebrews was treated differently, right? I, I, which was major because livestock was their economy, agrarian. You, this was ancient. Livestock, you have a lot of cows, you have a lot of horses, you have a lot of money. That is money. And, and it's, so it's, this is like saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Man, I'm going to make the stock market in Egypt is going to crash and burn. But the index, the Hebrew index is going to go off the bull chart, right? I mean, this is like, and God's in control of that. God's in control of that. I, I mean, just as people don't like a God who judges, people don't like a God who discriminates. We want God to treat everybody the same, which is crazy. I mean, listen, uh, you want to mess your kids up for life? Treat them the same. I've got five, and I don't treat my kids the same, okay? I, I don't treat my kids. You can't treat your kids the same. I, I learned this when I coached football. You know, I, when I coach football, man, you have a running back, and he fumbles that football. And, and, and you know, some of you seen me coach football, and, 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 you know, somebody said, boy, you get intense coach football. I'm like, it's football. I mean, it's not like, oh, good play, little Johnny. That's ridiculous. That dude shouldn't be coaching. Get him over there. Let him coach cheerleading or something. Don't, don't do this, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so I, I didn't mean to make you cheer coaches. Uh, that's, that's, cheer, cheer coaching is great. You lady can do that. <laughs> so, it's not what I meant. So, uh, so anyway, football, back to football. You know, a guy fumbles. Man, I, I've been known to grab a face mask and pull him in and give him a little verbal encouragement, right? <laughs> but I learned a long time ago, I do that to this young man, and you know what? He might respond to that and say, yes, sir, boy, I got to get my act together. I'm going to be riding a pine. Another running back fumbles. You grab him by the face mask, give him some verbal encouragement, and man, he ain't come back to practice for three weeks, right? I mean, you, got, you can't treat kids the same because they're different. For instance, man, I'm, I, I, listen, me, I mean, I was different. When I was a boy, my parents disciplined me. I begged them to spank my bottom, right? When it was time for discipline, just don't ground me. Don't let me, don't, don't keep me from going out with my buddies, right? I mean, whoop me. I'll be over that in five seconds. Right? My dad knew that. So he's like, I ain't no doing whooping him. I'll just take stuff away. I'm like, no, don't do that. 
My kids the same way. I mean, you discipline them the same way. They're, they're different. Kids are different. You don't treat kids the same, folks. If you hadn't learned that, man, you treat them fair, but not the same, right? Now, here's the thing about God. God doesn't treat people the same. Did you know that? I mean, I'm going to heaven. If you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. If you don't, you're already condemned. It says you're going to hell. There's still hope. You can give your life to Jesus today. But God's not going to treat us the same. He's going to make a distinction. The difference is Jesus. Now, in my example, let me also tell you, God doesn't treat us fair either. That sounds, oh, God doesn't treat us fair. No, let me tell you why God doesn't treat us fair. God doesn't treat us fair, but you think about the Egyptians. You say the Egyptians got what they deserved. Man, they were destroyed. They're going to end up, we know the story, they're going to end up buried in the Red Sea, and man, it's just annihilation. Well, they got what they deserved. And it's easy for us to think, well, Israel got what they deserved. They'd been enslaved for 400 years, and they got what they deserved. No, they didn't get what they deserved. It wasn't fair what God did for Israel, because Israel didn't deserve that. You see, Egypt got what Egypt deserved, and Egypt got what Israel deserved. Did you realize that? What's not fair is the fact that we get to go to heaven, those who believe in Jesus, because I deserve hell. Do you think about that ever? Think about the fact that God doesn't treat people the same. Some's going to heaven, some's going to hell. And God doesn't treat people fairly because it's fair that we all should go to hell and burn. We're all crispy critters. That's what's fair. But that's not what God says. For those who know Jesus, we get to go to heaven. Now, God treats sin fairly. See, that's why we get to go to heaven. We get what's not fair, believers, because he treats sin fairly. Sin will be paid for. There is a price for sin. God's wrath will be poured out on sin. For my sin, he treated my sin on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for my sin. He took the wrath for my sin. You see, that's why for some of you, let me tell you what that means. Let me, let me, let me tell you something that can help a lot of you today. Some of you have got so many grudges. Some of you have got stuff that's affecting you and you're going back deep into your past and you're dragging stuff around. And, 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 and man, you know, the, some, your life is controlled today by some of the things that happened uh, a long time ago and you need to let that go. And I know it's easier said than done. And I'm not saying it's just, okay, I'm letting it go. I know it, it, it's, 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 it takes some time, but let me make sure you understand understand something that'll help you, okay? Something that'll help you is to understand that your daddy may have beat you, your husband or wife may have walked off and abandoned you or left you or had an affair on you, your kids rebelled against you, your best friend stabbed you in the back, your company let you, and man, you're affected by that. And what you need to understand is we have all sinned and we've all been greatly sinned against. And what you need to understand is that You don't need to hold a grudge, and you don't have to hold a grudge against the one who greatly sinned against you because that sin either was paid for on the cross or it will be paid for for all of eternity. If that person who offended you was a Christian because Christians can mess up and offend you or even greatly wrong you, if they're a Christian, that sin too, just like your sins against other people, was paid for on the cross. So you don't have to hold a grudge wanting them to pay for it because it has already been paid for. If they weren't a Christian then, if they become a Christian before they die, that sin will be paid for on the cross. Or it was paid for on the cross because Jesus knows if they're going to be saved or not. He already paid for it. If they don't become a Christian, it will be paid for in all of eternity as God's wrath is poured out on them in a real place called hell forever. So you can release wanting someone to pay for how they have absolutely sinned against you. You don't have to hold that. You don't have to want vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? You don't need to hold on to that. And so, so here's what we know. God treats sin fairly. I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, my sin was dealt with on the cross, and he dealt with my sin. He didn't just let it go and say, oh, I'm going to wink at it. He punished it on the cross of Jesus as he took it for me. If you don't know Jesus, your sin will be paid for too. You will pay for it. Either Jesus paid for it or you will. Okay? So God doesn't treat people the same because there's going to be some that come to him one day, and, 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 and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my Father's joy. And the others are going to come to him one day, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, he doesn't treat everybody the same, and he doesn't treat everybody fairly, which means that I should get down on my knees every day and say, God, thank you that you don't treat me fairly, because I don't deserve heaven. Thank you that you saved me. I want to live in honor of you. So if you don't want 
a God who isn't judgmental, that doesn't judge, and that doesn't make distinctions, then you're going to have to make him up because he's not in the Bible. He is not in the Bible. Ligon Duncan, who's a pastor, he, he, he talks about this, the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a character in the Chronicles of Narnia named Jill. And, 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 and Jill approaches the only stream in Narnia. And you know the Chronicles of Narnia has is, is got this layer and it's, it's, it's a deeper meaning of, you know, of God and the relationship there. And so Jill approaches the only stream in Narnia, which you get the picture, what the only stream in Narnia, the living water. She approaches the only stream in Narnia wanting a drink. But Aslan, who's the lion, the great lion, is guarding the river and she's scared to death. And so she asked him, do you eat little girls? And he says, little girl, I've consumed peoples, kingdoms, and worlds. You get the picture of who, he's taught, who, who, who Aslan is. I've consumed people, kingdoms, and worlds. Do you eat little girls? I've consumed worlds, kingdoms. She's still scared. She keeps asking questions to see if it's safe, but he won't give her any comfort. And finally she says, I'll, I'll just go find another stream. And he says, little girl, there is no other stream. Folks, let me tell you something. God's not a safe, domesticated, tolerant little God that you can put in a box. God judges. God has a standard, and his standard is right. His standard is right. His judgment is just, and there is no other stream. There is no other God. There is no other God, and you might not understand him, and you can't dumb him down when you don't. And We don't want a God who discriminates, and we try to dumb him down when we don't understand him and, and, and make him less than who he is. And a tornado hits this, this city, and we uh, oh, oh, man, uh, surely God didn't cause it to hit that city, and God's not responsible for that. Someone dies young, and they love Jesus, and an atheist lives to be 100 and makes millions, and surely God's not responsible for that. God is sovereign. And I can't understand him. And me not understanding him doesn't mean I have to dumb him down so I can. It doesn't mean I have to protect him. It doesn't mean I have to, you know, it means that I understand God is God and his ways are above my ways. You know, it, 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 it means that he judges and he discriminates and everything that happens, happens to bring about his will. Everything. And I don't understand it all, but I know he's a good father. He's a good God. He's a good God. And the point is, ultimately, those who know Jesus will feast with the best wine you can ever imagine. Remember, Jesus said, I will not drink this cup until you enter into my Father's glory and I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. That's going to be some good wine. And we're going to enjoy it with him forever. But others, others will not be able to enjoy the greatest wine you can imagine, they will, en they will endure for all of eternity the hottest fire conceivable. To those who know him, he will say, enter into my Father's joy. And for those who don't, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. What will he say to you? We need to live life understanding that God is a God who judges and God is a God who makes distinctions. And for me as a believer, my judgment has already been declared on heaven or hell. He will not judge me according to heaven or hell, but he will judge me according to my rewards and how I've lived my life. And we need to live every moment of our life understanding that God is a God who judges. There is a real place called heaven. There's a real place called hell. Everybody's not going to heaven, only those who follow the one true God and surrender to him. What will it be for you? What will it be for you today? Today, you've heard the truth. What will you do with it? Come back and talk to us. We, we're back at the Pastor's Connection. You can come back, or, I'm sorry, the Next Steps area. You can come back and talk to us. If you're watching online, you can email us. Come back and let us know how we can help you. What we're going to do now is we're going to baptize. And uh, we're going to, uh, to baptize. And I'm going to pray. Travis and our band's going to come out. And we're going to baptize. And here's what I want you to understand. The people that we baptize here, seven or eight people, the people that we baptize here, uh, they have given up the throne of their heart to Jesus. They have said, I'm not on the throne uh, uh, anymore. I'm giving it to Jesus. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand. The water that we're going to baptize them in, this has nothing to do with their salvation. That water is water. It will not save a soul. It will not save anybody. 
Jesus does that and only Jesus. It's a symbol. Okay, it's a symbol. And when, when they're baptized, here's what, these are going to be your dads. Some, some, some of them, you're gonna, they're going to be dads and children and wives and friends. And I don't want you to think when they get up out of this water, man, that they are radically just, oh, man, they're perfect. They're going to still mess up. Okay? They're going to still mess up. Sometimes you're going to think, I don't think it took. <laughs> My mama thinks the same thing about me still to this day. They're not going to be perfect. I just want to remind you that the Christian life is a life of progressive sanctification. We continually grow to get to know him. When somebody comes to know Jesus, they're a baby spiritually, just like a baby is a newborn physically. And they're on, they eat milk and they cry. And, and man, and then they get a little bit on solid food. And then they keep growing. And then they start walking. And then they stumble and bust their head and their lip. And man, so they still cry and want me, me, mine, mine. And they still make everybody around them nervous. And that's what Christians do, the same thing right? We got to be patient. We got to love them. We got to encourage them. We got to help them to grow because that's spiritual growth. So they're not going to be perfect, but they're redeemed. If they truly gave their life to Jesus, they're redeemed. He didn't redeem them to get baptized, just go about life as normal, but to worship him corporately and every moment of every day. So we're going to celebrate that. And when we do, you celebrate. I hope it inspires some of you. Hope it inspires some of you to, to, to go out and, 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 and share. And what we do here is, listen, uh, if I, I'll baptize some, but if, 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 if you have the privilege here of, of being a major influence in someone's life to bring them to, to the Lord, then, man, we want you to have that privilege. If they want you to have that privilege, we, we do, right? And so because that, that biblically, right, uh, 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 baptism, uh, it doesn't have to be done by a pastor, it says to be baptized, right? It's like the Lord's Supper didn't say how much to do it. It says when you do it. Can you imagine on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people? I mean, you think Peter baptized all those people? Paul said, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because y'all act like fools sometimes, right? Except he named two or three people. So, man, we, we, we allow people to, to baptize if they had major influence. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to celebrate. And, man, if you're here on Father's Day, there's no greater time than to give your life to Jesus than today if you don't know him. So I'm going to pray and shut up. Travis is going to come out, and we're going to baptize and celebrate. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings. That's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings, and we're going to respond that way, and then we're going to baptize, and we're going to respond by worship and all that kind of stuff. And so let's pray, and, and, and well, we got a crowd standing up here, y'all. Y'all don't have a gun or something over there, do you? Good night. That makes me nervous. Y'all coming in and see baptism? That's great, man. That's, somebody's, got, somebody's got some friends. That's good. All right, let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for loving us. And God, I just, I thank you for baptism. Thank you for the symbol. Thank you for the plagues, for what we can learn about our life, about the fact that you judge, that you make distinctions. Lord, thank you for the truth of your Lord, that you're sovereign. Thank you that you redeemed us to worship you. Thank you for all the, 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 the fact that you're in control. All the lessons we're learning from the plagues, I pray that we would honor you in our life with them. Father, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. And God, I pray that right now as we begin to worship and take up your tithes and offerings, Lord, that uh, we would honor you in how we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.